0: Have you personally had to wait a long time for a package to arrive these days?
1: Martina, I'm glad you asked me that question because, yes, in fact, I have. I had a very old minivan that flunked Virginia's annual safety inspection and needed a new seatbelt buckle on the driver's side. My mechanic tells me that's normally a two-day process of ordering and delivering. In our case, it took over three weeks. And when he first went to Honda to get the part, Honda told him they literally had no idea at all when the part would show up.
0: That is David Lynch.
1: And I'm the global economics correspondent here at The Washington Post.
0: David's been reporting on this mystery of why it's been hard to get a lot of things right now, from car parts, to lumber, to shoes, to exercise gear. And David says that's all because the global supply chain has gotten blocked in a bunch of critical places.
1: Normally, this process works in a very fluid way. It's really a daily miracle in some ways. We've all gotten accustomed to going on Amazon or Walmart, hitting a couple of keystrokes, and then presto, something shows up at the door in 24 or 48 hours. But under the stress and changed consumption patterns of the pandemic,
0: this daily miracle has broken down. And today, we're gonna figure out why. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, October 19th. On the supply chain issue, um, Secretary Buttigieg is saying that there may be challenges for last-minute shoppers. Secretary Yellen says there could be isolated shortages of goods in the coming months. So can you give us a realistic breakdown of um, what Americans could be facing on these shortages come the holiday season, what What are we talking about? For shipment of goods, which I assume yes. is what you're asking yes. about. So- these delays that we're all experiencing have become such a huge problem that the White House has gotten involved. We, we, I can't make a prediction for you that we're going to solve every issue tomorrow and next week. We're not. We're coming out of an economic crisis caused by a a, a pandemic. Uh, But what we are doing is working to uh, using every tool at our disposal to ease the impact on the American people. Last week, President Biden announced a plan to extend the hours of a major California port that is one of the places where all of our stuff is getting stuck. But it's unclear whether that will really solve the problem. What's going on at the ports right now is just one choke point in this global process that usually works pretty seamlessly. So normally you've got stuff that starts out in another country. It gets put inside a shipping container. That shipping container is loaded onto a big boat. That boat travels to the U.S., maybe someplace like the Port of L.A. Then that shipping container gets offloaded from the boat onto a dock then lifted it onto a truck or train that delivers it to its final destination. And that is all how it's supposed to go.
1: So the supply chain is, is really designed to work like a relay team at a track meet. I run my lap, and when I'm done, I hand you the baton. You're standing there waiting for me, and I hand you the baton. You run your lap, and so on. But if when I finish my lap, you're not there it doesn't matter how fast the next guy or gal is, the whole system breaks down. Mm -hmm. And that's how the supply chain works. It's a team of shipping lines, ports, terminal operators, trucking companies, chassis providers, warehouse distribution companies, and every player at every link of that chain has to have the equipment they need in place at the right time the system gets clogged up you get a sort of traffic jam experience where you're trying to push too much stuff through a pipe at the same time Mm -hmm. and that doesn't work and you can see that sort of traffic jam right now off the coast of southern california where there's 60 or 70 massive container ships at anchor just waiting for space at the dock we're having a hard time getting trucks in here to get us pulled out of here in time We went out to the port of Los Angeles. Uh, we were out in a sailboat sort of maneuvering around in between some of these container ships to see what that looked like. It's still crisis mode. Everybody needs to get their, get their goods to market. And they are sort of at the mercy of the supply chain system all the way around. And pointing the finger at one direct cause is not really beneficial because it, it's a chain reaction.
0: So tell me what's going on at the port of Los Angeles and why it's happening.
1: Again, the the system is built to work. uh, If I can mix metaphors, we'll forget the track team for a moment. It should be flowing like a river. (laughs) But this is not flowing like a river. So instead of the ship pulling right into a spot at the port, it's now parked off the coast. And so you've got 60 or 70 boats anchored off the coast. They sit there. Imagine for two, maybe three weeks Why are they sitting so long? Because there's no place to go. They're in line. It's like asking somebody on the Beltway, the highway that circles Washington, why are you sitting, you know, in traffic traffic (laughs) on a highway? Why don't you go faster? Well, the answer is because there are all those cars in front of me. I can't go faster. Hmm. So a container ship arrives. They'd love to go straight to the dock, but there's dozens of boats ahead of them waiting for space. Meanwhile, at the dock... The docks are crowded with shipping containers. So the trucks that normally could come right in, drop off an empty, pick up a full one, head right out, do that several times a day, there's so much stuff on the docks, it takes them two or three times as long to get in and out. Hmm. So everything at every step of the process is just taking longer. It's an endless flow. Everybody's on edge. They're worried about getting all their goods to market in time. Usually we try to get everything out of here within 24 hours.
0: But what's different now than two years ago? Why all of a sudden is are there these traffic jams?
1: Well, the original sin is really a change in our consumption patterns that was brought on by the pandemic. If you imagine or go back in thought to the world, you know, before COVID, we were all spending a lot of money at restaurants, ballparks, concerts hotels, airplanes. To generalize, all of that stopped during the work from home era. And instead, we all started buying more physical products. We started buying furniture to make our work from home experience a little more comfortable. More laptops, new phones, new clothes, new entertainment devices, things to amuse ourselves because we couldn't go out and do what we normally did. So that changed the nature of the economy. And it stressed the system that was used to bringing in X number of goods, all of a sudden it's trying to bring in X plus 20 or X plus 30 percent. And it's not built for that.
0: Can it become built for that? Like, is there a way to start adding more of these, for lack of a better term, like parking spots at these ports?
1: Not really. If you think of it, to some degree, the system has done, despite all the problems we're talking about, has done a pretty remarkable job. We are bringing more stuff into the country, more cargo than we ever have before. The Port of LA, I think this year, expects to process something like 10.8 million standard units of these containers. That's a remarkable uh, amount of work. It's not a system where you can easily add capacity if you think of what's involved in a port these are giant sprawling operations you can't just go build another one mm-hmm. and even though some new investment is happening, the shipping lines in particular have ordered more vessels that'll be delivered probably in 2023, 2024. Because again, imagine what's involved in building one of these container
0: ships. And 2023 not something... and 2024 feel like a long time away. Well,
1: it, they're both a long time away. And there are people in the industry that are worried that the historical pattern we've seen where the, the cargo carriers will bulk up, they'll, they'll put on new capacity, that that'll happen happen right as this wave crests, hmm. and all of a sudden, the prices, the freight charges that have soared may collapse, and that'll cause a whole different set of problems.
0: After the break, why this shipping crisis is forcing companies around the world to rethink some fundamental philosophies about how they do business. We'll be right back. In-laws. Love them or
1: hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with
0: their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So tell me a little bit about some of the repercussions of the fact that this supply chain has gotten disrupted. Like, what does it mean for regular people like you and me? And what does it mean for the companies that we're buying stuff from? The companies are like, we want to get our stuff to people who are buying them and we can't.
1: Yeah. The implications, I think, are really, they range all the way from the mundane to the profound. Uh, On the mundane side, as I told someone the other day, you know, my wife complains all the time that she's having trouble finding the particular kind of cat food that our incredibly fussy cat (laughs) insists on eating. Now, you know, this is, in the grand scheme of things, this is not something that people at the White House uh, should probably worry about, that you know Dave Lynch's cat is turning up her nose at at what she's offered
0: I mean your cat uh, is clearly worried about it too so I would I would give it some credit The
1: cat is calling the shots at the Lynch home these days so so you know you've got those sort of irritations but at at the bigger picture level this is has become a probably if not the single biggest economic problem in the recovery, it's right up there, because this has implications for inflation, because imagine we're in a position of shortage with the number of goods and with freight charges. That pushes the price of things up. It only makes inflation more of a problem, at least temporarily. It's undermining growth, because companies are not able to fill all the orders they're getting, because they just, in some cases, can't get the inputs that they need to make the products that they could sell on to their final customers. So that hurts growth. And it's also calling into question the the sort of theory of globalization or the organizing principle uh, that multinational corporations have used now for a few decades, which is-
0: well, What is that principle?
1: It's described as just-in-time Manufacturing. We have these global Mm. supply chains. The idea is you keep your costs low, you prioritize efficiency, you strip out every bit of added expense or waste to maximize your profits. And that all depends on things working in sequence and not being disrupted. What we've seen over the last couple of years. When these disruptions occur, all of a sudden, instead of just in time, companies are starting to think, maybe I ought to plan for just in case.
0: Hmm. So there's not a lot of slack built into the system that if you're shipping stuff from point A to point B, you don't want that stuff to spend a lot of time just sitting around in a warehouse between A and B. But now all of a sudden, these companies are like, actually, we probably should have extras just sitting around because it's going to take a long time for them to get where they need to go.
1: Exactly right. If I'm, you know, a, an auto plant, I can decide, you know, how much insurance should I have against a supply chain shock? Should I make sure I've got enough bumpers and door panels and semiconductor chips in my warehouse so that if my supply chain goes down for a few months, mm-hmm. I'll still have enough stuff to make all the cars? Well, if I do that, that costs me money. I have to spend that money for all those parts before people have bought my cars, and I have to spend money to build a warehouse to put all that stuff in storage and pay people to keep an eye on it, and all that is money I could be spending on other things. I could be spending on researchers and engineers to design an even better car for next year, and instead, I'm just stockpiling parts.
0: I'm curious what it's like for the people who work at these ports and docks who are, I'm sure, experiencing a lot of stress in their jobs trying to get things to run more quickly and like what what they have to say about what they have seen change so quickly.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's. On the one hand, you sort of expect to see feverish activity working twenty four seven, not a moment's rest. And there's an element of that. Um, certainly the seasonal ups and downs where normally they could catch a break, those are sort of a thing of the past. It's they've been operating at at peak levels for most of the last year, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, in fact. but it 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 is, the case that there's still a fair bit of slack in the system, and, and in a way that I think has been a little surprising. And the the Biden White House tried to do something about this recently with modest or partial success. And, and that's the notion of 24-7 operations. You would think at a time like this, where the supply issues have become a real national crisis or concern, you would think the system would be cranking Literally 24-7. Certainly ports in places like Rotterdam and the Netherlands and Singapore, uh, the best, most efficient in China, the best and most efficient ports do operate 24-7. But that's not the case in Los Angeles and Long Beach. And they've only very recently started to introduce pilot programs to try and make that happen at some terminals, not all terminals, and not across the board. And so when we were out at the port of Los Angeles at the beginning of September, at that point it was the case that something like thirty percent of the available nighttime appointments for truckers to come and pick up containers were going unused because hmm. the truckers just weren't showing up to get anything. And and on the one hand you feel like, well, gee, that's odd. You know, what what's going on? Why aren't why aren't these truckers Coming, But the fact is, you know, if, if somebody comes at 3 a.m. to pick up a shipping container, they have to have somewhere to take it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a warehouse or a Walmart uh, or a Target retail store, they're not open at 3 a.m. So where's the trucker going to go? So where, where are the big delays, for, for truckers? Like, where, where do you find yourself waiting? For?
0: When I'm waiting for a container that's on the ground, that's when, that's when you can really wait up to four hours, five hours.
1: And one of the truckers we profiled in our recent project, very nice guy named Alvaro Ramirez, uh, who works for a, a company called Road One out in Joliet, uh, Illinois. The delays that he's seen waiting in line to get into these rail yards, he, he's had to wait for so long. You know, he, he told me he kills time by listening to Conan O'Brien comedy <laughs> bits. And uh, he's, he's watched YouTube videos of to teach himself how to dance the salsa.
0: So basically, Anything that's not going to um, to, to make me <laughs> think about the waiting time, because um, if you do, then you, you'll you'll go nuts.
1: And he's now a, a pretty accomplished dancer as a consequence. And he was not an accomplished dancer at the beginning of the pandemic. So that gives you an idea of how much time he's, he's losing to, to waiting in line. But you know, he counts on being able to make five or six or seven trips, round trip every day to get into a yard, get a container and get it delivered. And now he can only make one or two because he's just Mm got to wait to get into the rail yard. He's got to wait for the shipping container to be located in this forest of other containers. He's got to wait for it to be loaded on his chassis. And then he's got to try and navigate his way out through a long line of trucks. And that just all takes a long time. And as a result, his earnings are down 20 percent. Well, that makes it a hard sell if you want to turn around and try to attract somebody to come join him in that line.
0: So tell me a little bit more about what the Biden administration is trying to do in the short term and in the long term to alleviate some of these problems.
1: You know, this really has become an increasingly severe problem for the Biden administration because it's now the sort of thing that, as we've discussed, is really touching everyday Americans in their lives. The problem is the levers that they can pull to cause immediate change are really pretty limited. And, you know, some folks in industry have been saying for months, well, you know, call out the National Guard or, you know, let's use Navy uh, facilities or something. And it's just it's just not as easy as it sounds. You can't, you know, take some untrained National Guardsman and put them up in one of these cranes that are several stories high and suddenly have him moving thousands of shipping containers mm. off a vessel. This is not something you can do overnight. Uh, so that's the short term. The long term, the administration says, you know, we've we've got $17 billion earmarked in uh, the bipartisan infrastructure plan that's crawling through Congress. And if and when that ever gets approved, down the line, that will produce improvements in our ports. But As you can tell by the nature of the discussion, that is very
0: much a long-term operation. So how do port and rail yard operators feel about all that?
1: Certainly the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, Gene Soroka, has complained that over, I think it's the last decade or so, East Coast and Gulf Coast ports have seen a greater amount of federal investment than has the West Coast by a factor of something like 11 to 1%. Today we continue to self-fund at a rate of between $500,000 and a million dollars a day in our infrastructure, but much more is needed. And the U.S., in his words, is decades behind foreign ports in how well our supply chain processes and shares information. What I've seen from places like. Hamburg and Shanghai, Singapore and Jebel Ali outside of Dubai is they've had port community systems for decades sharing information between customs and transportation, private and public sector, to make for their supply chain fluidity as the primary focus. They all have access to the same data and so they can work together as a as a choreographed operation. Whereas in the US, you know, the carriers have their set of data, the terminals, they husband their information, the shippers themselves don't want other people to know or their competitors to know what they're ordering. So, you know, these are these are areas that have to be addressed going forward and you know, if you think of the pandemic as sort of a Stress test for the supply chain, it has probably shown us areas we need to do more about and changes that companies need to make in the way they, they organize.
0: It is so interesting that this is coming to a head at a time when we're talking so much about infrastructure and this infrastructure bill, because... It feels like infrastructure is a real, a really hard thing to wrap your head around. It's something that is tangible and affects your life. But here we are with infrastructure that is outdated and not up to the capacity that we need, and it is affecting our day-to-day lives.
1: And we may finally have found a way to make infrastructure sexy because there's, <laughs> there's no, uh, you know, generally there is no sure way to stop a conversation or to uh, cause readers to turn the page and move on to something else than to use the word infrastructure. But I think you're right. This, this has become the sort of daily problem that has, you know, has got folks' attention. I mean, I, every, every time I get together to socialize with uh, our neighbors, somebody's got a story about something they've gone out to buy recently and haven't been able to find. This is now,
0: you know, a common occurrence, David Lynch is the global economics correspondent for The Post. All the sound that you heard from the ports and rail yards, that is from video reporter Lee Powell. Today's show was produced by Rennie Svarnovsky and mixed by Sean Carter. David is continuing to report on the problems of the global supply chain. If you want to keep up with this work, we hope that you'll consider subscribing to The Washington Post. Right now, you can try The Post for just a dollar a week, which gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. Learn more at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.